respond to reports of a missing person. The mother is on scene and requesting assistance. Unit 527 responding 1039. This is Over the Horizon and Far Away. Welcome to Over the Horizon and Far Away, where we discuss cases of the missing and murdered whose stories didn't get the media attention that they deserved. I'm Julia, and I'm so excited that you guys are back for another episode with us. Thank you. And I'm Danielle. And seriously, you guys, thank you guys so much. We're glad that you enjoyed last week's episode and you decided to join us again. Yes, yes. Today, I'm going to be sharing the case of Cindy Rivera. Before we hop in, I'm going to give you guys a quick trigger warning. This episode does contain discussion of suicide, domestic violence, and drug abuse. So viewer discretion is advised for any who may be sensitive to those topics. Some information about Cindy. Cindy Rivera, also known as Tig, is a 19-year-old young woman who lived in Las Vegas, New Mexico. For the rest of this episode, we're going to be referring to her as Tig. I want to let you guys know that when I was researching this episode, I was actually given the amazing opportunity to speak with Tig's older sister, Angela, who gave me a ton of information on the case that I just wasn't able to find through regular research methods. So I want to give a quick shout out to her and give her a monumental thank you for answering all of my questions and being available to talk about the case. Angela said that Cindy was actually given the nickname Tig after a younger sibling couldn't pronounce her name and would just call her Tig and that nickname kind of just stuck. So that's how she got that nickname from Cindy. I also think it's worth mentioning here, since we're talking about family, that Cindy was very close to hers. She kept in constant contact with them, and she was very much well-loved by all those around her. Okay, so that's like a fun little story, because I was definitely wondering how we got to take from like Cindy, because it doesn't, you know, usually nicknames are like a shorter version of a longer name, or I don't know if you're a Robert, somehow you end up a Bob, like I don't really know how that <laughs> works, but... Like, you know, I'm Danielle, so like once upon a time people called me Danny, which I hated, but um, so that's so fun. I love that story. Yeah, I think it's really, really cute. Um, another bit of fun information about Tig is that she was actually born on Valentine's Day of 1993, so she's a holiday baby. Oh, fun. Yeah. Cindy worked with her mom as a live-in caregiver, providing in-home assistance for a bedridden client named Pedro Martinez. Tig has two young children, and she's very much well-regarded as a mother, a daughter, and a friend. Her sister described her as the heart of her family. Angela said that Tig's kids were her whole life. Everything she did, she did for them. She's described as being very sweet, very funny, and very much well-loved by all those around her. Another bit of information I got about her was that Tig was a bit of a comedian and she absolutely loved cracking jokes and making others laugh. And apparently she was actually really good at it. Most who knew her would describe her as hilarious. A bit of information on where Tig was from. Her story begins in a town called Las Vegas, New Mexico. Now this isn't to be confused with Las Vegas, Nevada. I initially went into this case thinking that it was the big and bustling Vegas, but it is absolutely not. Las Vegas, New Mexico is a much smaller town with a population of about 13,000 people. 
It's located 65 miles east of Santa Fe and 122 miles north of Albuquerque. It's generally considered to be a small, quiet town with a crime rate that's about half of what's considered average for the state of New Mexico. The town is known for its architecture, proximity to national forests, and outdoor recreation opportunities. The beginning of Tig's case takes place on June 30th, 2012. Tig's primary residence was with her father, Jesse Rivera, and according to the Charlie Project, Tig told her father when she left that evening that she would be back in a few minutes, but never return. Tig was spending that evening with a client of her mother who worked as a home health aide. The client was bedridden, as I mentioned earlier, and sources say that Tig was taking care of them while her mom stayed with a friend. Okay, so I'm intrigued right now. I guess I have some questions. So did they normally work together? And if they did, like, why was mom not there this particular night? So it looks like Tig was really new to this job. Um, She had only been working there for a few days, actually, at the time of this story. So I think what may have been happening was that her mom worked there for a longer period of time and Tig came in and started working. So maybe it was like a training period or something. And she was new to having this client on her own. I think that's kind of what was happening. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it was actually both Tig and her oldest son who were with the client on this evening. Something that stood out to me when I was researching this case was there was a ton of inconsistencies in reporting. So something that was odd to me was that one site said she told her dad she'd be home in a few minutes, while another was essentially saying that she was going to be doing an entire several hour work shift. So I'm not exactly sure how long she was going to be gone. You plan on being out all night or maybe she got caught up in work, but this was around the last time that anyone in her family saw her. Concerning circumstances leading up to Tig's disappearance started around 1 a.m. later that night when according to the Santa Fe New Mexican, Tig's mom received a call from Tig saying that her ex-husband and the father of her oldest child, Christopher Trujillo, was intoxicated outside of the client's home. According to Tig's sister, Angela, this is something that would have been incredibly concerning to anybody in the family. She described Christopher as being controlling, and she was actually able to provide some background on the history between Tig and Christopher. Well, red red flags are already going up for me, but continue. (laughs) You're about to get some more of those. The two got married when they were very young. Tig was only 15 or 16 when the two of them got married. The two of them ended up splitting up, Tig making the decision to leave Christopher, and Christopher did not take this well at all. As I said earlier, Christopher was described as being controlling, and he had a history of violence. Tig's sister shared with me that Christopher was actually going through a trial for a murder when they got married, so he was very much prone to violent and aggressive behavior. Lovely. Yes. Now, I don't have any additional information on this murder, but I think it paints a better picture of the person we're dealing with here. Christopher did not want the breakup and actually started dating Tig's girlfriend in an effort to get back at her. Okay, hold on now. A couple points. Or a couple, a couple things that I don't love so far in this story. Um, number one, why are we 15 or 16 and getting married? That's mind-blowing to me. Um, also, that makes me curious about what the New Mexico laws are and have those changed. Um, but also, you guys, girl code. You don't date your fr- your friend's ex. Like, what? What? No. Yeah. 
Um, additionally, Christopher was also mad at Tig because he had recently been caught by law enforcement with drugs and he believed that Tig may have snitched on him. Tig's sister reported that on the day this happened, he'd called her over 300 times. Okay, sir, you need a hobby. Who has that kind of time on their hands? My lord. Yeah, this is in a one-day period. He called her 300 times. What I think of in this situation is how scared she must have been to be called 300 times by your ex who's already upset with you, had already been doing things to get back at you, and then to see on your phone 300 times that he called her. That is, it had to be terrifying. Yeah, he clearly needs a hobby, something to focus his time and energy on. You know what? I think that's what our next podcast should be. Is this hobby right for you? <laughs> Let's keep everybody from murdering. We're going to be on the lookout for that, guys. We'll figure that out. I don't know when, but we will. <laughs> so, of course, Tig was frightened when she saw that he was outside of this client's house. And in response, she called her mom to let her mom know what was going on. What's been reported is that Tig's mom told Tig to just try to chase Christopher away since she didn't sound too scared of him talking on, while she was talking on the phone. While Christopher showing up outside the client's home intoxicated would have been concerning to the family, it's believed that Tig's mom may actually have been under the influence when Tig called that night, as it's reported that she struggled from substance abuse and may not have really been in the state of mind to register what Tig was telling her. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense because my initial thought is um, we're not chasing anybody away. <laughs> that's, that's not our job. Um, we're going to go ahead and call 911, get the cops there. I'm like hopping in the car to go rescue my child. Um, yeah, my initial thought was that's a very disappointing response. But I suppose if we're not in the right mind frame due to our own addiction issues, that would, yeah, we might not make the best decision in that moment. Yeah, I think there may have been some regret there, but um, it is just a very unfortunate circumstance for everybody involved. Oh, I imagine there's got to be a ton of regret now. I can't even imagine. Yeah. According to the Santa Fe New Mexican, by 2 a.m., Pedro Martinez, who was the bedridden client that I mentioned earlier, could hear Tig Rivera's infant son crying from the locked bathroom. Per the Charlie Project, Pedro could hear the infant crying all night long. Okay, so new thought here. Um, so I guess question. So is he like bedridden a hundred percent of the time? Like he needs twenty four seven around the clock care, or is he able to do a little bit on his own and maybe only needs part time care? Like what does that look like? And if he does in fact need twenty four seven care, um, I like what safeguards do we have in place in case something does happen like not necessarily oh now our caregiver is murdered but like maybe something more reasonable like they slipped and fell or like they had a heart attack and now like where's your life alert press the life alert button <laughs> I would be curious to know more about that because I feel like it makes sense to me that some sort of safeguards would be in place for this client that appears to be very needy yeah, um, from what I gathered, it looked like he did have round-the-clock care, and this happened at 2 a.m., so, or sorry, 1 a.m., so that even more so makes me think that he had that round-the-clock 24-7 care. If he didn't have that at the time, I hope he does now have some sort of safeguard in place. So Tig's sister was actually the one who contacted law enforcement after the family arrived at the home the following morning. 
According to the Charlie Project, the garage door was left open and several of Tig's items were scattered around, including her lighter, her cigarettes, her slippers. Around this same time, Tig's dad contacted Christopher and asked where Tig was. Christopher's response was that he hadn't spoken to Tig in months, which the family knew automatically was a lie. Of course it was. Yes. Tig's sister Angela was actually quoted as saying back in 2012, when they took her, we knew it was them. The Santa Fe New Mexican reports that phone records for Christopher, Tig, as well as Christopher's friend, Anselmo Ortiz, who goes by the nickname Chemel, placed both men in close proximity to Tig between 12.30 a.m. and 4 a.m. on the morning of her disappearance. So I would be curious what more they have. Like, are we solely basing our information on phone records like were we able to track down any sort of like video surveillance from nearby homes or businesses like because when I think about phone records like I know we know that they bounce off like phone towers right and those aren't spaced every block by any means they're pretty spread out so like we could both be pinging off the same phone tower but not be anywhere near each other necessarily you could be I could be on one end of the block you could be on the other and we could have nothing to do with each other. So, like, if our sole evidence is phone records, like, I don't know that that's the most solid evidence. So our sole evidence definitely isn't phone records, but okay, I agree good. with you that if it was just that, that wouldn't be very much. But we have a ton of other stuff that's going to connect these individuals to TIG on that night. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear more. Yes. So Anselmo or Chemo Ortiz will be a key player in TIG's disappearance. Now, I want to give you some background on Anselmo Ortiz because there's just a lot to unpack when it comes to this man. He has a very lengthy criminal record with all sorts of charges ranging from DUI, which is horribly dangerous on its own, please nobody drink and drive, to drug trafficking, to theft. In one incident, he was actually noted as having stolen a car and then intentionally crashing that car into both a New Mexico State police vehicle and that of a bystander. And if that wasn't enough for you, he did all of this while armed with a gun. I mean, I want to say I'm shocked, (laughs) but I just, I mean, these don't seem like the sharpest crayons in the crayon box. Um, But also, like, really, you thought that was a good idea? Like, let me, let me play bumper cars with the police. (laughs) They'll just think it's a fun experience, and then we're all going to go on our merry way after. Like, what? Come on, man. Yeah, uh, this man just does some really reckless stuff, and you'll hear more about it throughout the story. And Samuel's criminal record and range of reckless activities on its own is kind of enough to paint a picture of him. But I went ahead and looked at his mugshot because I was curious as to what he looks like. And that really sealed the deal for me. This guy looks absolutely creepy. He's got this really creepy gaze to him as he's looking in the camera. And it's almost like he's like taunting whoever's taking this picture saying like, yeah, I did it and I do it again. There's just, there's absolutely no remorse in his eyes. There's no recognition at all. He almost looks like he's grinning. If you give yourself a chance, I would absolutely look him up and see for yourself and see what you get when you look at him. Yeah, you guys go check him out on our Facebook and other socials. We'll definitely put that up for you guys to take a look at. We want to hear all your judgment in the comments. Okay, guys, don't let us down. We're we're anxiously awaiting <laughs> the roasting of this man. Yes, we are. Anselmo's involvement in Tig's disappearance 
only becomes more apparent when multiple members of Christopher's family indicate that they actually saw Anselmo covered in scratches, bite marks, and blood the following afternoon. According to the Santa Fe New Mexican, the men were shirtless and Anselmo's ex-wife noticed them with a Walmart bag full of bloody clothing that they subsequently burned. In speaking with Angela, I was able to receive more information on this portion of the story. According to her, both Christopher and Anselmo had met up with roughly a dozen people in Albuquerque. They looked absolutely exhausted. They looked disheveled. They were guzzling bottles of water. They were appearing to be really anxious and on high alert, like something had just happened. The two were actually quoted as saying, they fucked up. They killed Tig. A witness stated that they'd seen Tig slumped over in her in the car, looking as if she was sleeping. According to Angela, the two got an axe and placed her body in the mountains, and they actually told witnesses that this is what happened to Tig on that day. Um, well, I hope these witnesses come forward and share what they know, and hopefully this will help us put some pieces together. So that's one of the most frustrating portions of this case. While it may seem like there was solid evidence against Anselmo and Christopher, the case actually went stagnant after this for nearly a decade. Oh my gosh, of course it did. Yeah. And That's why we're all here, guys. I don't even know why I'm surprised. <laughs> I forget why we're all here. <laughs> yeah, so the case went stagnant for a really long time after this, despite all of this evidence. So that's where like the cell phone records would have been really helpful, paired with all of this other stuff. You'd think they'd have a really great case, but... I don't know what was going on, but the case kind of went stagnant after that. So the family actually worked really hard to keep the case alive. Following this, there were frequent posts to the Justice for Cindy Rivera Facebook page and calls for actions through annual walks, selling t-shirts, and calling for public officials to take Tig's case seriously. Even though after all of this, despite the family's efforts, despite everything, the case did still go stagnant for nearly a decade. There was just not substantial movement after this. So I, wanna... I just want to take a moment to just highlight what this family did, because I think it's really important for other families of missing people um, because they just might, these are resources they just might not have thought of. Um, so I just want to highlight them again. So for starters, the Facebook page, Justice for Cindy Take Rivera. So I can tell you through personal experience working on um, my friend's missing daughter's case, like that has been a huge resource for us is our page um, that is all about her missing case. Um, we've been able to share that into numerous Facebook groups. Um, people are just sharing it onto their personal Facebooks. Like it's truly an amazing way to reach a lot of people very quickly. Um, the annual walks, the selling t-shirts, you know, getting out there and working and trying to get these public officials to do something is, I mean, just amazing. So I just wanted to take a moment to highlight all of that, um, just in case anybody found that information very useful. Yes. Um, and I'm going to take another second to tell you guys that that Facebook page for Cindy is still up. So you guys can definitely go check it out and get some more background on the case. It's justice for Cindy and then Tig Rivera. And we will share that on the socials for you guys as well this week as you guys listen to this episode. So you guys have easy access to all of that. So Angela told me that she didn't have anything negative to say about how law enforcement handled this case. But 
I am sort of wondering if maybe a bit more urgency could have been put into how they investigated Tig's disappearance. To me, and this is just my very uninformed opinion, it seemed like there's a lot of solid evidence to have brought something in some way against Anselmo and Christopher, but that just didn't happen for, again, we're looking at an entire decade here. Yeah, it's really hard when we don't get input from law enforcement, which you guys just very hit or miss on our end. Um, And honestly, I think we were probably leaning towards more like no cooperation um, from law enforcement. Um, And so that is really hard because then we just don't have that information. But yeah, I have a hard time believing that we did what we needed to in the beginning if this just goes cold when for so long. It's not like we had absolutely no idea of who we could even start with. Like we have definitely two very good leads here and a lot of information that ties back to them. So, and we know, like, I mean, there's a whole show about it. The first 48, it's so important um, to cases. So yeah, that's really frustrating. Yes, absolutely. Um, To nobody's surprise, Anselmo was actually put into prison from 2013 to 2019 on drug trafficking charges. You're lying. (laughs) (laughs) And the Santa Fe, New Mexican reports that following his release, he began to work for Christopher at All American Towing. And it was here that he got into some more trouble because he was accused of using the company credit cards for personal expenses. Okay, so was he ever, like, charged with, like, theft for this or... Were, like, investigators able to, like, use this as leverage to try to get information on Cindy? Did they even try? Like, did anything at all come from this? Um, the credit cards? Not that I could find. No. Of course. Um, and then their friendship kind of fell apart not long after that because Christopher accused Anselmo of revealing an affair to his wife and threatening to harm Anselmo's son. So there were some trouble between the two of them, which again, I'm not surprised about. I know I've talked a lot about Anselmo, but it really seems to me that this man just cannot stay out of trouble. It seems like trouble and conflict just follow him wherever he goes. Maybe follow him isn't the best word because he seems to cause it, but he just seems to always be in some sort of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. (laughs) In January of 2021, Anselmo Um, was arrested for drunk driving and he appeared to have a change of heart when he's released and reached out to investigators regarding the case. You guys, again, do not drink and drive. It is a horribly dangerous thing to do. And on another note, do we have any more information? Like what did he say to investigators? Was this like a viable lead? Like how did this go for us? So what Anselmo reached out about was he was asking for immunity on all charges from investigators in exchange for him cooperating in Tig's case. Of course, because, um, you know, why would we take responsibility and just deal with the consequences of our actions? Who does that? Yeah, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard of that concept. Not long after Anselmo was released in early May of 2021, shortly after Anselmo reached out to investigators, Christopher Trujillo completed suicide in La Cienga. I feel like I butchered that word. I think it's La Cienega. Oh, I can like say it in my mind. La Cienega. 
There we go. La Siena. No, see, I don't think you pronounce the G. La Siena, I think, is how it is. You guys, somebody from there tell us in the comments. <laughs> do like a little voice recording for us. Um, I feel like I can like say it in my mind, but then I can't make my words pronounce it correctly. <laughs> so I don't know. But on another note here, um, did he by chance leave a suicide letter or some sort of like confession letter with information about Cindy? Oh, he left some information for sure. Per the Las Vegas optic, two months following Christopher's suicide, an arrest warrant for Anselmo was issued based on recordings found by police on Christopher's cell phone. These recordings contain statements in which Christopher admits to killing Tig Rivera with help from Anselmo. In one of these recordings, he is quoted as saying, I killed my ex-wife, Cindy Rivera, and buried her in the National Forest. I'm going to tell them Chemo killed her and buried her. The Los Angeles Optic states that Anselmo Ortiz was initially offered a plea deal in which he would serve 10 years in prison if he were able to inform investigators as to where Tig's body was located. Anselmo was unfortunately unable to do so and was subsequently sentenced to 16 and a half years in a state prison. It doesn't really surprise me that he wasn't able to do so. Remember, you guys, a long time had passed, and he was drunk when he committed this act. So there was a lot of heat. There may have been some body decomposition, animal activity. The area is located in a very hot and dry climate with not much rain, very hot summers. So it doesn't really surprise me that he wasn't able to figure out where Tig's body was all this time later. Well, also, it was a national forest. So I guess when I picture national forests in my head, I'm thinking like very wooded area, like tons of like trees and leaves and tall grass and like all of this stuff. And like, I feel like it all just kind of looks the same, like as you walk through it. I mean, people get lost hiking all the time because like everything looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure that wasn't helpful either. Exactly. So while there wasn't very much movement from law enforcement in certain parts of this case, that didn't stop Tig's family. Tig's sister stated that they continued to be harassed and taunted by individuals involved with Christopher, going so far as to show up at their job and harass them as they worked. They were eventually able to get this resolved, but the pain didn't stop. This family has worked so hard to keep Tig's memory alive, from parades and talking to media they were standing out on street corners and handing out flyers. They've tried everything to make sure that her name is out there and that her case stays in some sort of spotlight. So again, I just want to take a moment to highlight this family's efforts because I just think they can be very beneficial to other families experiencing similar um, circumstances. You know, they're a missing loved one. Um, so they were doing parades. They're out talking to the media. We are literally standing on street corners, handing out flyers to people just saying, hey, take a look. If you know anything, if you've heard anything, anything at all, please share it. Like, that's amazing. Yes, absolutely. And Angela said that the community response has been incredible. The city of Las Vegas has been highly responsive to Tig's case and has worked so hard and been so supportive in getting her case heard. Angela wants awareness to be brought to the issue of domestic violence. She's warned others to take things seriously when they don't look right. She said that domestic violence is real and there are times when sometimes all the signs are there, but it's really still too hard to see it until it's too late. 
And I think that's a great point to bring up. One of the most dangerous times in a victim of domestic violence's situation is when they're trying to leave. And it looks like that's sort of what happened in Tig's case. She wanted to leave and he just didn't take it. And unfortunately, that led to the end of her life. That's really sad. Yes. And sadly, very accurate. Mm -hmm. As of the recording of this episode, Tig's body has never been located. While there was never a body found, Tig's family is fairly confident that Anselmo Ortiz and Christopher Trujillo are the men responsible for her disappearance. Though the conclusion was 10 years in the making, her family stayed active in their search for her, never ceasing their work. They remain active on social media, and they urge community members to keep her case in their hearts and their minds. Unfortunately, Tig's mom ended up passing away. It's heartbreaking that she passed not ever knowing what happened to her daughter. Her family has not given up hope. Angela told me that the holidays aren't the same without Tig. Tig was last seen wearing a white spaghetti strap top and pink silk pajama bottoms. She had numerous tattoos, including a tattoo on her neck that says Rhonda, a trust no bitch tattoo on her collarbone, smile now, cry later with faces on her right arm, Tyga with stars on her right hand, Bites with hearts on her left hand. Tig is described as Hispanic, 5'1", 134 pounds. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Tig Rivera, contact the New Mexico State Police at 505-425-6771. Domestic violence is a terrifying reality in the United States. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crimes. Women ages 18 to 24 are most likely to be victims of domestic violence. However, it absolutely happens across all demographics. We all need to look out for one another, and if you notice signs, say something. Look out for your loved ones. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233 or learn more at thehotline.org. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide, help is out there. You can dial 988 and be connected to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. They offer 24-7 confidential support to anybody struggling with thoughts of suicide or self-harm. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, I want to give a special shout out to Angela and her family who have been working so tirelessly to bring awareness to Tig's case and keep her memory alive. I also want to mention again the Justice for Cindy Rivera Facebook page. Please go and look them up, like and share their posts, and help bring more awareness to her disappearance. We all hope you enjoyed this episode. All source material will be located in the show notes. To show your support, please give us a review on the platform you're listening on. You can subscribe on Patreon. We're on Patreon as Over the Horizon and Far Away. You can find us on TikTok. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on any of the social media sites, including Twitter. Um, even though we don't know much about Twitter, we'd love for you guys to support us there. We're tweeting, you guys. We are doing it. <laughs> we just, other than that, we got nothing. So, <laughs> like, just tweet us back, I guess. Retweet our tweets. Like, whatever you do on the Twitter, I have no idea. We did not have one prior to this. <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to figure it out, you guys. If you have a case you'd like for us to cover, you can submit that at overthehorizonandfaraway at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another case for you all. See you next week. Bye.